On behalf of Leinberg Information Services, this is Bob Keebler with Paul Lee to discuss capital gain planning in 2020. Welcome, Paul. It's uh, good to hear from you, Bob. Paul, let's just jump right in. And by now, most of us know that Vice President Biden is proposing some very interesting capital gain per capital gain ideas, including going to a 39.6% rate for some people. So can you walk me through this? What, what, um, what are they thinking and how would this affect people earning over a million dollars? Yeah. So uh, uh, as you're pointing out, the Biden campaign has proposed um, that for those taxpayers with uh, over a million dollars of income, their long-term capital gain tax rate would go to the highest ordinary income tax rate, which um, uh, they would like to peg at 39.6, returning back to what it was before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Now, if the Affordable Care Act continues to stay in existence, which would mean that the Medicare surcharge would stay in existence, we're talking about a, um, a long-term capital gain tax rate to sell appreciated securities by way of example of 43.4. Now, what it also means, and um, what a lot of people have not talked about, is that it also means for those taxpayers who fall within that class of people who uh, would fall in there, their qualified dividend rate would also go to 43.4. So it's a dramatic change for some subset of the taxpayers in the United States. So what details are not explained in the proposal that will become important to know before any planning should be considered? You know, I've been kidding that the that the only commonality between the uh, Trump tax plan and the Biden tax plan is the lack of specificity and detail. Um, now, what they've said is it's for taxpayers with over a million dollars of income. Now, without any details of, about does that mean gross income? Likely not the case. Does it mean adjusted gross income? Maybe that is the case. Or does it mean taxable income? Maybe that's it. Or and, uh, you know, one very critical thing to understand is, is this sort of like a cliff vesting thing that if you make $990,000 of total taxable income, you have the preferential long-term capital gain tax rate and qualified dividend rate, or, and if you have $1 of taxable income over every, all of your long-term capital gains and qualified dividends go to this 43.4% rate. There's just no detail. Um, it is, in, in my my mind, uh, it, it could be that the first million dollars of income are what they are. And if that first million dollars of income is long-term capital gain, um, then you would get the preferential 23.8% uh, rate, and then everything over and above that might be at this higher rate. Those are the types of details that are going to be critically important in understanding what it means to taxpayers in the future and what it might mean uh, today. So, um, you know, we'll have to look and see once we know something about the election. Now, what planning should be considered this year, 2020, uh, once the election results become clear? I think it's all about sort of t at least considering turning on its head those things that we've learned as tax professionals to never do, which is 
uh, have income earlier and uh, use losses later. We've been taught defer income, use your losses as quickly as possible, you know, because of the time value of money and things of that sort. And so one of the considerations that certainly a lot of people are talking about, again, depending on the results of the election, both at the congressional level and also at the presidential level, about triggering gain this year and maybe pushing losses to next year. Now, you know, I, I've, I've been thinking through um, a number of different ways uh, of triggering gain now, but I, I, I will say the following. You, you need to gird yourself and have strength in order to do this because this is highly speculative. You know, changing the rate this dramatically for a, a certain subset of the U.S taxpayer base is a dramatic change. And politically, it may not pass. And so, um, you know, I, yeah, it, it's hard to say whether or not you should do it or not, because we're unlikely to have any real details uh, until next year. Um, and there's always the chance that uh, whatever they pass, let's say, in the first quarter, or the second quarter might be retroactive to January 1. And so I think we need to be measured in our response. And so if people convince themselves that this, this higher rate is going to apply to them uh, and they'd like to take the benefit of the rate differential now versus what they anticipate in the future, I don't think you sell everything that's appreciated. I, you know, maybe you consider selling maybe 20 or 30 percent of the position um, you know, just to hedge your bets because some of these details we talked about might save yourself in the future if you can plan around them. But that's pretty dramatic. I mean, so what we're really saying is if I knew I was going to need that my base income was a million and I was going to need 350 of capital gains above and beyond that for the next five years, and I felt fairly certain we were going to this 39.6% rate, I would harvest those gains in November or December of 2020. Correct. Which is anathema, uh, just as you know, as we know, we, you know, we've always been taught uh, to avoid taking gains, matching losses against gains, uh, and then pushing gains into the future and deferring into the future. Right. So this turns everything we've learned from the first day of school upside down. Correct. And and that's why it becomes so important for us to get ahead of this and try to help clients understand it. Clients are going to struggle with this. And preparing to pull the trigger because we may not have an enormous amount of time in order to do it, right? So if the election results are not known on election day, which uh, lots of political pundits are saying is uh, there's a good chance of that happening, you might be talking about two or three weeks after the election before actually knowing not just uh, who is, is likely to be president, but what the makeup of the two congressional houses are going to be. So if the proposal does become law, what possible provisions would be of interest to look for? So what, what specifically would we have to study and look at and try to figure out? Yeah, I'm, so, I'm really fascinated to see how they end up writing in the details on this, right? So they talk about uh, taxpayers having, uh, uh, you know, greater than a million dollars. Well, how are we defining taxpayer here, right? So um, uh, is it literally every taxpayer with its with their own tax identification number is a separate taxpayer and if that is the case the whole idea about um you know creating non-grantor trusts 
um, that would be a separate taxpayer with appreciated securities, they would, uh, especially if the first million is at a preferential rate, that you know you can sell a million in in one non-grantor trust in one year, and then the following year sell another million and get the benefit of this uh, 23.8% preferential rate. Um, secondly, you know, I was thinking, well, how are we going to define taxpayer when we're dealing with married couples? You know. Are you going to say that each married couple um, that's filing jointly, so we're talking about $2 million, does it make a difference whether or not they're filing jointly or separately? There's, there's uh, lots of provisions in the code that provide certain benefits or detriments based on a per taxpayer with a special rule if you are dealing with uh, uh, spouses where – uh, the benefit is sort of cut in half uh, if they're, you know, filing separately by way of example or jointly by way of example. And so I'm looking for that. Um, and so I think it's going to be um, fertile ground for possible planning opportunities if it finally becomes law and we get some details out of it. If some if some version of this proposal becomes law, can you talk about possible planning responses for taxpayers? I assume there is a greater than 50% chance that says the first million of income is what it is, right? So if you have $400,000 of ordinary income, it'll be taxed at the ordinary income tax rate. Uh, and then if you have another $600,000 of capital gain on top of that, that you would get this benefit of the preferential 23.8% rate. And then everything over and above that might be taxed, um, if it is long-term capital gain, obviously, at the ordinary income tax rate. If that happens to be the case, I think old planning techniques that we've talked about for 50 years will come back to the fore, like charitable remainder trusts, right? Even with interest rates as low as they are, we have to remember that charitable, remain, charitable remainder uni trusts are actually interest rate neutral. So you have this ability to um, contribute securities, let's by way of example, or, or other appreciated property to a CRT and have it pay out for maybe a 20-year term or maybe for the lifetime of the creator of it and have essentially under the tier rules of accounting, the original long-term capital gain uh, spread out over um, um, you know, over a number of years. And if you get this uh, essentially running of the brackets for the first million dollars of capital gain that comes out, I think um, that uh, will be very interesting. Um, uh, I was also thinking that uh, if this passes, there's going to be a huge incentive for charities to go to very wealthy donors and say, give us uh, you know, your excess capital gain stuff that you otherwise would be subject to 43.4% plus state income tax at a time when states budgets are in deficit and you know because they have a legal responsibility to have a balanced budget they're going to need to raise income tax rates by way of example um, I, I think that's going to be uh, something we will be thinking about I think we'll be thinking about um, installment sales right so uh, you want to sell ten million dollars of whatever appreciated asset um, much more of an incentive to then take an installment note instead of that. And uh, electing installment sale treatment and uh, deferring that gain over many taxable years if, in fact, you get to run the br brackets. 
it also made me thinking when I was talking about installment sales that if we are thinking of triggering gain this year, installment notes, I think, have a very interesting look-back play uh, today. So let's just say I have an appreciated asset that is not a marketable security. Well, if I can find another taxpayer, let's say a non-grantor trust that I may have created, um, to buy that from me with a promissory note at the at the 1.12% long-term AFR today, so the interest leakage is very small, and then I then have the option next year on my next tax return to either elect out of installment sale treatment if it turns out that the law has passed and I would rather have had it in 2020 to go ahead and trigger the gain in 2020. Or go ahead and have installment sale treatment and have the interest and the principal paid over many taxable years if, in fact, we're going to be running sort of the brackets here. Um, the other thing I was thinking about in terms of triggering gain this year is because installment sale treatment and this ability to elect in or out doesn't apply to marketable securities, you know, one interesting idea might be uh, if you want to trigger gain this year, is, but you don't want to necessarily sell out of the market in order to do that, is you can just exchange securities with your non-grantor trust, right? You know, S&P 500 for NASDAQ or same stock for same stock in theory is a taxable event and you're not out of the market. You've just triggered the game. And so I think there's some very interesting sort of ideas percolating around that uh, I think is going to make the end of this year and the beginning of next year really fertile from a planning standpoint. And what about the impact on the stock market? Let's say you've had a stock that's really moved in the last 36 months. Uh, that could become very volatile, I'm guessing, in December while people try to adjust their portfolios. Yeah, and then you're going to have all, you know, you're going to have all the speculators about what, um, by way of example, the Biden campaign has said that it would like to see the, the C corporate tax rate um, go back to something in between the 35 it was before to the 21 it is today. And so they're proposing a rate of 28%. And what does that mean to valuations of, uh, you know, the stock market? Uh, you know, obviously that will have an effect on after-tax earnings of um, any publicly traded company. Wow, we've covered a lot of ground today. I want to thank you. This is this is very valuable insight. And, you know, this is what we're all going to be up against. Now, I want to come back to one final question. If this happens, am I right in kind of assuming that the CRT will be on fire? Because for people that have income go up and down, the CRT will become the perfect smoothing vehicle. Maybe just talk about that a little bit and why you know, why will the CRT be so popular all of a sudden? Yeah, again, you know, as I mentioned, uh, this ability to take gain and push it out over, uh, set, you know, many taxable years, and assuming you get this benefit of running up to a million dollars with a preferential rate, that obviously has the rate differential plus the benefit of deferral uh, just in the future. You know, unfortunately, with um, with CROTs, which are based upon the value of the underlying portfolio, it will go up and down with the underlying portfolio. And so if the portfolio itself, 
um, is a very volatile portfolio, that means the cash flows will be volatile. But most people, when they're selling, let's say, a concentrated stock position, will diversify their position inside the CRT in order to smooth that out. Unfortunately, CRUTs have not evolved enough into the Uniform Fiduciary Income Tax Act, which allows for you know smoothing rules with unit trust distributions. Um, but um, you know, I think there will be lots of thought about. Uh, taking a volatile portfolio, maybe even adding some bonds, even at rates that as low as they are, just to smooth out the ride because it's on a percentage basis each year. Well, that was very helpful. Paul, I really want to thank you. On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, this has been Bob Keebler with Paul Lee discussing 2020 planning for capital gains. Thank you for joining us.